Good morning. Good morning, New Life. Good morning. Thank you, thank you. In case you don't know me, my name is Patrick Mahomes. And um, <laughs> later I have to catch a plane. I got to get to Arizona. You probably heard there's a big game today. But Pastor Joe asked me to come out here and uh, give away a few things, talk to you just a little bit, and, um, and uh, kind of just take his place for today. And I hope that's okay. Um, so one of the things he wanted to find out is because he wasn't sure where everybody's loyalty lies at Super Bowl Sunday, you know. So he wanted me to come out here and find out um, who are all the Chiefs fans. So could I get a big cheer for everybody rooting for the Chiefs today? Very good, very good. Hope you'll be cheering for me too. You know, I just won my second MVP, but you know, who's bragging? He also wanted me to find out if there was any um, Eagles fans here that are going for, oh. <laughs> Sir, your presence today should ring true. No, no, you don't get any of this. <laughs> your presence today should send a message to the whole world that we let anybody in here. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, not as many Eagles fans. Um, maybe I could hear from the I don't care crowd. Who's that here? All right. We will work on all of you. Anyway. Hey, uh, you know, uh, um, in case you didn't know, uh, it's me, it's Pastor Joe. I'm just kidding. It's, I'm, not, I'm not Patrick Mahomes, all right? Okay. I wouldn't mind if he tithes here, but that's another question. So anyway. Hey, you know, uh, every time the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, which is like the third time in four years, um, I did something the very first time. I went up to Kansas City and I bought a bunch of cereal because you can't get it down here. It used to be called Mahomes Crunch. So I went to Hy-Vee the other day in Kansas City and I said, where's your Mahomes Crunch? And they're like, oh, we don't carry Mahomes Crunch anymore. I'm like, what? And they're like, um, it's now Kelsey's Crunch. And so I thought, well, hey, you know what? That will do, all right? So um, uh, keeping with tradition, I need to find out. Let me come down here. I need to find out in our church who's the biggest Chiefs fan that I can give a box of Kelsey's Crunch to. Who over here is my biggest Chiefs fan? Here we go. Oh, oh. <laughs> Be healed, my sister. Um, who over here is my big Chiefs fan? I, I, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to throw it. I've, I've learned my lesson. Can you pass that down to him? I'm, all right. Sorry. And um, come by my office later. I've got more. All right. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. He came to church going, had no idea Joe was going to touch my head today. But... Let me know if you sustain long-term damage. And um, anyway, hey, welcome to New Life Christian Church. Glad you guys are here today. Um, open your Bibles to Exodus 18, where that's where we're going to be today. And if this just happens to be your first time with us, I, I don't always wear a wig on Sunday morning, sometimes on Saturday, but never on Sunday. And um, we're glad you are here. I hope you'll come back. <laughs> I do. And, uh, and, uh, and keep going with us. We'd love to have you here. Um, every weekend and being a part of our church family. We'd love to get to know you. I certainly would. And uh, hope you just be a part. I'm out of breath. <sighs> hope you guys be a part of what we're doing for sure. Hey, um, we are continuing right along with our Exodus series, which we've been in for a number of months now. And we come to chapter 18 today. And can I just say that chapter 18 is kind of a breath of fresh air from the previous two chapters of Exodus 
Because these last couple chapters of Exodus, um, it's been kind of heavy. We've read about how the Israelites did nothing but complain and grumble. That was kind of the theme of the last couple of chapters. But as we come into chapter 18, it is all good news. All good news in this chapter. And it begins with a family reunion, but it ends with actually a demonstration, perhaps a picture of what God is doing on the whole grand scheme of the world through the Exodus. And I think you'll see what I'm saying by the time we're done. But before we read our text today, something that is absolutely necessary that we've got to do is we have to go backwards a little bit. I need to refresh your memory today of some names that we read early in our series, a couple circumstances, and just refresh your memory and recount the context of that because knowing that will help chapter 18 make a whole lot more sense. So you remember from the earlier parts of our series, Moses found himself living in the land of Midian. Do you remember? Going all the way back to the first couple chapters. Why was Moses in the land of Midian? Well, he grew up in Egyptian royal, up to about age 40. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. And he began to identify with the Hebrews who were slaves in Egypt. And one day he's out and he sees what? He sees an Egyptian slave master beating up one of the, his fellow brothers, a kingsman, a Hebrew. And when no one was looking, Moses got revenge on this guy. He killed him and buried him in the sand. That's right, Moses murdered the guy. And he thought he got away with it. But then when it became discovered what he did, he fled. Pharaoh was angry with him and Moses takes off and he goes to the land of Midian. We catch up with him taking a breather by a well once he crosses the border. He's sitting there by the well, cooling off, and, and up come seven women to the well. Now, no, this isn't a romance novel now that I'm about to tell you about. No, seven women come up to the well, and, and they're watering their animals. And, and, and Moses, is, he sees that there's these other shepherds that are harassing them. Is this coming back to you now? It's, they're harassing the girls, and Moses jumps, jumps to the rescue, and he rushes them all away and pushes them away, and then he waters all their flocks, and, um, and then they go home and tell their dad, Dad, you're not going to believe this Egyptian saved us today. And Jethro, the dad, goes, well, go get him. Let's offer him a place to stay. And that's where he meets his wife, Zipporah. Isn't that how your love story started? <laughs> your wife was watering animals by a well and you saved her? That every love story starts that way? Well, Moses makes an impact and he marries Zipporah, one of those seven daughters of Jethro, and he goes to work for his father-in-law, and that's what he does for the next 40 years. He's a shepherd for his father-in-law, and he's out with his flocks one day. He's now about 80 years old, and that is when Moses gets called by God from the burning bush. Now, these details are important because since that time, we haven't read about Jethro. We haven't heard him back in the story. Moses goes to his father-in-law, says, I need your permission and your blessing to go to Egypt, and I need to go there to see if any of my kingsmen are still alive, any family. And Jethro says, go. And then we haven't heard from him since, until chapter 18. Jethro and Moses' wife and his kids come back onto the scene. So let's read about what happens. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in the land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to, the wilderness, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. 
Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you, your wife and your two sons. Now, a lot has happened since the last time that Moses was with Jethro. A lot has happened since the last time that Moses was with his wife and his sons. The Bible says that Jethro, who was still living in Midian, is very clear. Did you see what it said? He had heard of everything that God was doing for Moses and the people of Israel, which begs to ask the question. Maybe you wondered about it too. How in the world did Jethro hear about all that was happening with the Israelites. Have you, ever, have you thought about it? How did he hear about it? I mean, let's be honest, this is before the internet. It's not like Moses and Jethro were texting through the entire Exodus experience. Moses didn't stop by the nearest uh, post office in the wilderness and, and send him a postcard. Hi, from the wilderness, it's nothing like that. How did he hear about all that was happening? I can tell you exactly how he heard. There's a several ways he heard about it. The first one is this, people talk. How do you hear about things? People talk. This is an area that was, you know, not unknown. It wasn't unfamiliar. There's a lot of people traveling to and from the Egypt to Midian and all these places. There were caravans of people all the time that were going to Egypt, leaving Egypt, selling their goods along the way. And no doubt these traveling salesmen and caravans came through the land of Midian and maybe Jethro's there buying some spices and whatever. And he's like... You're like, you're not going to believe what's happening in Egypt. And Jethro's like, well, tell me. That's definitely one way he could have heard. You, you might remember back in Genesis, Joseph's brothers threw him in a well because they were jealous of him. They didn't like him. And what did they do instead of killing him? They sold him into slavery. Who did they sell him to? One of these traveling caravans of merchants on their way to Egypt. That's, this is a well-traveled area, and no doubt people are talking. How do you hide or how do you not notice two million people wandering through the wilderness and how do you not hear about Pharaoh's army being destroyed in the Red Sea? People talk. How else did he hear? Well, it says in verse two that at some point, Moses sent his wife and his kids back home to the land of Midian. You might remember they traveled with Moses on his way to Egypt and there was a problem along the way. Um, Zipporah had to step in and save the day. You remember what that was all about? You read it on your own. You'll love the story. And so, some <laughs> of you who know, know. And, and we don't hear of her anymore. All we know is at some point, and we don't know when it happened, but at some point, he sends her back to Midian, back to her father. So no doubt, she has knowledge as well that she takes back to Jethro. So he's hearing some things. It could also be, you know, just the simple fact that Moses, the Bible doesn't say, he could have sent messengers ahead to let him know what was going on. Not an uncommon practice for the day. Now, I shared with you um, back a few weeks ago that to this day, there's not 100% agreement where the Mount Sinai is, the mountain of gods, the Bible refers to it. That's where Moses, he's in that area near the mountain of God. Jethro says, I'm gonna come meet you where you are. I told you that 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 there's some probable locations for this mountain, but there's not 100% agreement today on where this mountain is. But let me just tell you this. Back in Moses' day, there was no wondering from anybody where this mountain was. Jethro packs his stuff, gets Moses' family, and they go to the mountain of God. They certainly knew where it was. You might also recall from earlier in our study, God calls Aaron, who was living in Egypt, to go meet his brother out by the mountain of God. Aaron sure knew where this mountain was. He didn't have any trouble finding it. The entire collection of scriptures 
about Mount Sinai, you read all of them together, it does not talk about the mountain as being some secret hideout. This is not where the Israelites went and hid from everybody. No, 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 no. This was a known location in a well-traveled area back in this time. This is not Moses' first time to this mountain either. You can't keep two million people a secret. So this is no, there's nothing in here that makes it sound like the Israelites were hiding in the wilderness around this secret mountain of God. The Amalekites last chapter sure had no trouble locating them and attacking them, did they? No, 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 no. Their location was not secret, nor did all of the things that were happening accompanying the Israelites from the time they were in Egypt till now, nor did that go unnoticed as well. So Jethro, no doubt, had heard some things. He had heard a great number of things. And Jethro decides, hey, it is time for a family reunion, and I know that Moses is near the mountain of God, and we're gonna go see him. Now look at verse seven. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they greeted each other, and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done for Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is one of those moments in Scripture that I would have loved to have owned a silver DeLorean with a flex capacitor so I could go back in time and I would love to have sat in the tent that day and listened to Moses tell Jethro all the amazing things that God had done. Now just imagine what that would have been like in the tent that day. As Moses begins to start to recount the details and maybe, he's, maybe it went something like this. Jethro, man, I'll tell you, I was so nervous about coming to Egypt but the Lord has put a lot of confidence in me since the last time I saw you and Boy, I'll never forget Jethro, the very first time I stood there and I looked at Pharaoh face to face. Here I am looking down at the most powerful men in the world and I did exactly what God told me to do. I took my staff, you know the one leaning against the couch over there? <laughs> and I threw it down and it became a snake. Oh, Jethro, I wish you could have seen it. it Life-changing experience. And then it begins to recount all the different things that have happened. You're not gonna believe it, Jethro. The entire Nile River, in fact, all the waters in Egypt turned to blood, and Jethro's like, what? You gotta be kidding me. Yes, the whole thing turned to blood, and nobody could drink anything, and, and they were digging along the Nile just to find any kind of water, and, and it, was, it was something, and, and Pharaoh was unmoved by that. And then, and then after that kind of passed, then God called up millions of frogs. They just came out of everywhere. Are you talking about those little green critters we used to go, you know, hunting at night? Yeah, those things. Millions of, millions. And, and then Pharaoh, he brought me into his presence and said, you gotta get rid of these frogs. You gotta do something. So I prayed to God and God killed them all and they piled them up. Oh, it stunk so bad. I mean, it was awful. You should have seen it. And then he went on to describe the gnats and everything else. And I got to thinking about that going, you know, all these traveling merchants that came in and out, you know, how did Jethro hear? Can you imagine being one of those traveling merchants on your way to Egypt like you do every year this time to sell your goods and stuff? And they pull up and they're like, there's frogs everywhere. It's not our year. Let's go. And, uh, or maybe during the three days of darkness, they're rolling into town and there was a veil of darkness and they're like, yeah, not for us this time. Let's go. We're going to keep going. They saw some things. 
But, you know, he, he tells them about everything. And what would it have been like as they sat in the tent that day and, and Moses begins to recount the details of that tenth and final plague? Oh, Jethro. The tenth plague was the worst one. An angel that we've called now the death angel came. And we found out that the only way that we would survive this night is if we sacrificed a lamb and took the blood and smeared it over the door frames of our houses and this angel passed over every house that had been covered by the blood of the lamb. Can you believe that? That's amazing. And then that death angel went on into Egypt and killed every firstborn of the whole, whole community. There wasn't one house that didn't have a dead person in it. Hundreds of thousands of dead bodies everywhere. It was awful. And that's when God said to Pharaoh, you know, I said, let my people, and Pharaoh's like, get out of here. That was the moment. And we left. And we plundered them on our way out. But don't feel bad for the Egypts. That's, that's hundreds of years of back pay. We went out with gold and silver and, and, and look at all we have now. And he told them about the Red Sea crossing, told them about all this stuff. Can you imagine sitting in that tent? He's like, hey, are you hungry, Jethro? Here's a, he slides the tray of bread over to him. And Jethro looks at it and goes, what is it? It's exactly what we said when we first saw it. What is it? It's manna. That's bread from heaven. That's God's bread. What's it taste like? Well, like a wafer and honey. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. And he goes, you're saying you go out every day and collect this? Yeah, tomorrow morning, come out of the tent. You'll see it's all over the ground. We just have to go get it. He does it every day for six days in a row. Every week. I mean, what would it have been like to sit there? Man, Moses, this water is really good. Where can I get some more? You're not going to believe where that water came from. It came from a rock. I'd, I'd have loved to have sat there and listened to all that. Jethro was delighted to hear it. It's what the Bible says. If you look at the very ver next verse, verse 10, here's what it says. Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. And then he says this, verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And you know what I love about Jethro's response here at the end of Moses telling him all that God had done? As far as we know, Jethro was not a believer. He certainly wasn't an Israelite. The Bible gives us this description of him. He was the priest of Midian. And what that means is he was like a leader. He was the priest of whatever the Midianites advocated for faith. That is what he believed and that's what he did. That's what he embraced. He was not an Israelite. He was not a follower of God as far as we can tell. But what I love about his response is that it sure seems to indicate that something happened in that tent that, that changed him that day. He went in there one way, he came out of it another way. After hearing about all that God had done, this priest of Midian from a different religion responded with these words, praise be to the Lord. More specifically, praise be to Yahweh. That's what Lord means, Yahweh's name we get Lord. Praise be to Yahweh. Very specific designation that he's laying this praise upon. And to me anyway, this feels like um, a very early example of someone, in this case Moses, sharing about the good things the Lord has done with somebody else, in this case, Jethro, and he's responding with great enthusiasm. To me, this feels like a very early example of what we would call today evangelism. Certainly feels that way. 
what was it that moved Jethro so much? Well, one of the things is the fact that he knew Moses for 40 years before any of this happened. He knew him before, and now he knows Moses now. And there is no doubt Jethro heard some things. Now he listened to it right from Moses, and he sees a difference in this guy's life. He remembered the timid, afraid guy that couldn't talk before he went to Egypt, and now he's seeing somebody who's bold and empowered by the Lord. Something has changed. Jethro, no doubt, sees it. He is, Moses is singing a different tune. And I know that no doubt many of you in this room today can testify to a very similar experience that you have had with the very same thing. Because you've got people in your life who knew you before. For a lot of you, your before is not something you like to talk about very much, but you have people in your life that knew you before. Before you were free from your own bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. And now you have people, those same people in your life that knew you before, and they know you now. And they look at you and they say, something's different. You're not the same guy. You are so different today after becoming a Christian than you were then. Anybody, any friends say that to you? Of course they have. Some of those friends have even gone so far to say, please tell me what has changed about you because I want the same change. And you have led your friends to the Lord because of what the Lord has done for you. It's, it's what we call evangelism. It's testimony. It's, I believe it's exactly what's happening between Moses and Jethro. What else was it about that moment that Jethro saw that was so amazing to him? Well, there's two times in the text that Jethro acknowledged and was amazed by the fact that it was God who delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh and this superpower of an army that he had. No doubt he's looking at the Israelites and he's drawing this conclusion. They were slaves, they're not fighters. Jethro can see, he goes, this is not a nation of, of fighters, this isn't an army yet. And he's looking at Moses, this 80 year old man. And he's like, Moses, I know you didn't do it. There's only one logical conclusion for Jethro to come to. God has done a miraculous thing and he's delivered the Israelites through his power and his hand to safety. And it blew him away. And he says, praise be to God. Look at verse 11 again. What did he say again after all that? He goes, now I know. In other words, I didn't know it before, but now I do. When I traveled here, I'd heard some things. When I went into the tent, I was, you know, I wanted to know. But now I know, I didn't before, but now I do, that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Now I know. It's another way of like saying, now I'm convinced. And when he said these words, I immediately went to something that, I was reminded of something that the apostle Paul said to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy chapter one. Paul was telling Timothy about all the great things the Lord had done and specifically about the power of God to save through Jesus Christ. And then he said this, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him to until that day. To hear the words that Paul, is like this confidence. Now I'm convinced. I know what I'm saying is true. It's like what Jethro was saying, now I know. Paul said, now I'm convinced. I, I am convinced, absolutely. Also reminds me of something that happened between Jesus and a man that he healed from blindness in John chapter nine. God, the Lord healed him, 
And then the Pharisees started to attack and question him. Who did this? Tell us right now, by what power? All this stuff. And the blind man who can now see, you know what I love what he said in, uh, in chapter 9, verse 50, or 25? He goes, here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. That's what I know. I was in darkness, but now I'm in the light. It's like the whole thing. Like, now I'm convinced. Now I know. Now I believe. I was blind. It's this something has changed, and they have come to this new truth, this new reality. And that seems to be Jethro's experience. He hears Moses out, and then he becomes convinced Yahweh was the one true God, greater than all the gods of Egypt, greater than everything, and the proof is in the pudding. There's two million people sitting outside this tent. I'm eating bread from heaven, and I'm drinking water from a rock. I am convinced. Now I know. That right there, friends, is a very powerful moment in somebody's life. The moment of convincing. The moment of belief. What was your moment like? Can you, can you recall it? For some of you, it was a long time ago, but you still recall it. Others of you, maybe not so long ago. Oh, I remember the moment quite well when I became convinced and I asked the Lord into my life. This is Jethro's moment. It's a powerful moment. How about for some of you who are not convinced yet? Um, I always keep in mind that every time we gather for worship throughout our four services on a weekend, and especially the many that watch online every week, that not everybody who's here, not everybody who watches is convinced. Maybe, maybe you'd say that about yourself, and if that's so, it's great. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And you might be saying, I'm checking things out. Maybe that's how you describe yourself today. Maybe you're today going, I'm checking things out. I don't know if I'm convinced to believe any of this or not. I've come a few times. These people sure seem passionate. They sing well. The music's pretty good. The, the pastor dances around pretending to be Patrick Mahomes. That's not bad. <laughs> I don't know if I'm convinced, though. And if that would be an accurate description of you today, I am so thankful that you're here. But I have a question for you. What do you think it's going to take for you to become convinced? Have you thought that through? What do you think it's going to take for you to become convinced? Here's what I know, and here's what I want to spend my life trying to share with others. It's the simple prayer that Jesus prayed in, in John 17, 3. He prayed this prayer to God, and he says, now this is eternal life. That's what Jesus said. Now, basically what he's saying, this is the crux of everything. This is what it's all about. This, this is, has everything from beginning to end. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I don't know what needs to transpire for you to become convinced. But in my heart and my prayer, this is what I hope you'll be convinced of. That you will know the Lord. That you will know him as the one and only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. That is the crux of the matter. That is. That is the heart of it. You know, that, that day in the tent, Jethro had heard enough. He had seen enough. And he declared, Yahweh is the one true God. So here's what happens next. Look at verse 12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. 
And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. So what did he do the moment he realized and, and had the epiphany and came to faith that Yahweh is the one true God? What did he do? He offered a sacrifice. I think it's more like this. What do you guys do because you believe this? What do you do? And they said, well, we sacrifice. And he's like, that's what I want to do too. Did he know this ahead of time? Probably not. What, what do I do next? It's the same kind of question many people ask. I do believe it. What do I got to do? And, and so he's like, I want to worship like you guys do. So he offered a sacrifice. To the best of their knowledge, that's how they worship the Lord. And this is before the Ten Commandments. This is before God gave all the law to Moses. This is before God taught the people about the nature of their relationship and how he is gonna relate to them and they are gonna relate back to him. This is before they were taught of, uh, of, of appropriate worship and all of this stuff. It's what they knew at the time. Jethro wanted to respond and show something about his newfound faith in the Lord, so he made a sacrifice. This was long before Jesus died on the cross. This was long before the church. This is, this is long before any of the things that we fully know and have the big picture of right now. He, burnt, he gave a burnt offering. This is something that, that people have been doing since almost the very beginning. If you go back to the day that Noah came out of the ark, what does the Bible say that he did? He offered a burnt offering to God as an expression of great gratitude and faith and belief. This kind of behavior has trickled down, if you will, throughout generations. And it's something they do even to this day. They saw through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. And even though they may not have fully connected all the dots that later the rest of the Bible, the law, the New Testament helps us connect, but even these earliest days of infancy of, infancy of their faith, they knew something had to die in order for them to live. They knew it. And, and this sets the stage for the coming of Jesus, who would be the ultimate, once and for all, perfect, innocent sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might live. It's, it's, there's some powerful things here. We, we could go deeper if we wanted to, but, but Jethro's like, I believe, what do I need to do to show it? And he offers a burnt offering to God. And then they shared a meal together because even Christians today know that good worship of the Lord includes food. <laughs> and they ate together, a covenant meal, if you will, in honor of the Lord, and it's a pretty, pretty powerful moment. What I, what I love about it, though, and I uh, don't want to read more into it than what's there, but it does seem like there's an immediate response to this newfound faith in Jethro. Now I know, and now I'm going to live according to what we all believe God wants us to do. And that's really no different for us today, friends. I have become convinced, and now I want to live for God. D did Jethro, was he a professional follower of God on day one? Probably not. Did it take some time for old habits to die hard? Most likely, and I think we can all relate to that too. No one steps out of the baptistry, a fully developed, mature Christian who never sins again. No, that's not our story either. But we start to follow after the Lord, and there's something here that seems like Jethro was doing just that. You know, there's some takeaways from our text today, and I've tried to, be, I've tried to show you and be very um, upfront with you that I don't think a whole lot has changed 
in the essential following of the Lord since then until now. And I think a lot of the expectations of the Lord about faithful living for us today is really no different from back then. And, and I don't see any difference in this chapter of the Bible either. When, when I read this text, my big takeaway is just simply this. Moses felt compelled to share all the great things that God had done for him. And I think you and I should be compelled to share the great things that God has done for us. I don't believe that's changed. We need to, simply put, share the gospel. How do we do that? Well, I think there's a great model that we see in the tent that day. He just told him all the good things, and I think we should do the same. To always be ready to share the good things that God has done for us. I don't see any difference. There was a great response in Jethro, and those of you that have shared the good things, what God has done in your life to others, no doubt you have seen good responses from other people as, as well. Nothing's changed. So as I think about that, and I think about how Moses did it, and, and what are the relatable things, there's, there's two things that come to my mind from as I read about what happened in that tent. The first one is this, we are to share the gospel lovingly. And I add the word lovingly on top of that because that's what I see Moses did. You know, I don't know the full nature of Moses' relationship with his father-in-law, but I don't think Jethro fully understood why Moses wanted to go back to Egypt. And maybe, maybe there was some parts of Jethro, and I, I'm speculating here, maybe there were some parts of Jethro that thought he was crazy going back to, to Egypt. And here he has maybe heard some things, maybe he didn't believe all those things, and here he comes and he wants to find out for himself. And Moses could have been like, Oh, yo, you didn't just believe, so you had to come all out here and see it for yourself. You don't believe, like, oh, you think you're so good that you know everything, and you just couldn't believe what you're, I, I don't know. All I know is when Moses welcomed him, he greeted him, kissed him, much respect, and began to share. There's something in there for us, too, that when we share the gospel, we do it lovingly. Why? Because this person's salvation has got to be the most important aspect of this conversation, this relationship. Isn't that the heart of the matter? Sometimes we, we go into these kind of situations and, and it's not lovingly, it's arrogantly actually. I'm gonna prove to you you've been wrong all these years. I'm gonna prove to you that the way you think is wrong and we do that with such arrogance. Now there's a time for debate, sometimes that's necessary, but always with love. You know, Peter tried to tell the church this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, and it's a very important verse. We should all know this. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revere in your hearts. Always know, walk, walk around every day of your life knowing that my God is the king of my life and I will walk in honor of him. And there's not a moment of any day that we lose sight of the fact of who we are in relationship to our Lord. We revere him. And out of that spirit of reverence to our Heavenly Father, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Friends, part of our spiritual development is a spirit of readiness. Some of my friends who serve in the military, they're like, we, li we live every day locked and loaded, ready to go. This is a Christian, we're locked and loaded. And when the moment arises, we are ready to share. Now, this takes intentionality. I, I challenge all of you, write down your story. Like right now, if you, if you had to tell your story, sit down today and write it out. And if you write it out, you'll recall it, I promise, to share what God has done in your life. 
And then there's this last part of what Peter said that this is where oftentimes we forget or we neglect it. He says, do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. I am um, becoming more convinced that it's not always the gospel that turns people off. It's the one speaking it. So much about our attitude and our compassion and those things that accompany what we say usually is what makes the difference or not. I, I do get frustrated from time to time, time, maybe you do too, when I'm on any kind of social media platform and I see Christians trying to build this great case for what they are convicted by, but they just do it with such meanness in their heart. You know what I'm talking about? They call names, they slander, they don't act like Jesus while they're trying to prove their points about Jesus. And I get frustrated by this. And I just caution you as a church that if you decide to take your evangelism to the masses through social media, this verse still applies. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's not always the message. Sometimes it's just the messenger that shuts it down. Don't be that person. Second takeaway is this, and this, this kind of hit me like, right, so this text kind of hit me right in the face. And it sounds so simple. Not only are we supposed to share it lovingly, we are to share the good news with everybody. Now, you've heard me say that a thousand times. But this truth come, actually comes up in this text quite clearly. Jethro was not an Israelite. He was not a believer. He, he wasn't one that walked out of Egypt with everybody else. Yet he came to know the one true God, Yahweh. His coming to this realization is another reminder that God is up to something that's much larger than just the Israelites alone. He's got a grander vision. What did God promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That through your family, your family will be a blessing to the, all the nations. Something will come from you that will bless everybody. Later in the Bible, Israel is referred to as the light to the nations. Jethro coming to believe in Yahweh reminds us that this is bigger than the Israelites. It's bigger than anything we've read so far in the Bible. If you go back to Exodus chapter 9, Moses is standing before Pharaoh, and he is speaking the very words of God through him to Pharaoh, and he says this in verse 16, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Right in the middle of the Exodus, God tells Pharaoh, this is all happening, so my name will go out and be praised in all the earth, well beyond the Israelites. And Jethro is an early example of that very thing happening, going outside to other nations. The very fact that you and I are in church today, worshiping the Lord, is another reminder that the Lord's words have come true. We're here in the United States of America in the year 2023. And we are believers in the Lord today. Why is that? Because his name has been great, well beyond the Israelites to all the nations. And Jethro is a signal time of that reality. So our job is to continue God's vision. One that began with Moses, moved on to Jethro, went around the world. And what's our role in that? 
to always be ready to share the good things the Lord has done. I pray and hope that we take this call to share the good news very seriously. I pray that we as a church family are always locked and loaded. And my hope and prayer, one thing that will be consistent through everybody that calls himself a follower of Christ and identifies with our church family would be one who is ready in season and out of season to tell the people, anyone who asks about the hope we have, to share with them the good things the Lord has done. And if we are faithful with that, my friends, I promise you, God will take that and do what he does best. God will take that and he'll amplify and move in people's hearts. God will take that faithfulness and that thing that he may have called you the very moment to do, and he will use it for his glory. So the question is, will you be faithful with it? Will you rise up and will you be a spokesman for the Lord? Just like Moses in that tent that day. I pray we all will. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just, as always, I just thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together in this place and open our Bibles and read about what you did through a group of people all those years ago and how those actions have touched our lives and saved us to this day. Lord, my prayer would be for all of us to have that sense of locked and loaded as a follower of Jesus. That, Lord, that we would be astute and sensitive to any moment of any part of our day when you put somebody in our path that you want us to share the wonderful things about you with, Lord. I pray that we will, in boldness and courage, do it. And Lord, that may be a long conversation, it may be a short conversation, but no matter what, we want it to be your conversation. And we are just your messengers. So Lord, I pray that would be evident throughout our church family. And Lord, I also pray for anybody here today who may not yet be convinced. I pray, Lord, that we've taken one step closer to the convincing side of that discussion. And Lord, I pray that even today, anybody that walked in here unconvinced perhaps is walking out convinced that you alone are the one true God and our salvation comes through your son, Jesus Christ. And that there is a glorious hope and a future that waits for all of us because of what you have done for us. Oh Lord, this is our prayer today. And it's in your name we pray it. 